Section thirty seven of the Natural History, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Natural History, Volume two, by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section thirty seven. Book ten. The Natural History of Birds. Chapter one. One. The Ostrich. The history of the birds follows next, the very largest of which, and indeed almost approaching to the nature of quadrupeds, is the ostrich of Africa or Ethiopia. This bird exceeds in height a man sitting on horseback, and can surpass him in swiftness, as wings have been given to aid it in running. In other respects, ostriches cannot be considered as birds, and do not raise themselves from the earth. They have cloven talons, very similar to the hoof of the stag. With these they fight, and they also employ them in seizing stones for the purpose of throwing at those who pursue them. They have the marvelous property of being able to digest every substance without distinction, but their stupidity is no less remarkable. For although the rest of their body is so large, they imagine, when they have thrust their head and neck into a bush, that the whole of the body is concealed. Their eggs are prized on account of their large size, and are employed as vessels for certain purposes, while the feathers of the wing and tail are used as ornaments for the crest and helmet of the warrior. CHAPTER two, two, THE PHOENIX Ethiopia and India more especially produce birds of diversified plumage, and such as quite surpass all description. In the front rank of these is the phoenix, that famous bird of Arabia, though I am not quite sure that its existence is not all a fable. It is said that there is only one in existence in the whole world, and that that one has not been seen very often. We are told that this bird is the size of an eagle and has a brilliant golden plumage around the neck, while the rest of the body is of a purple color except the tail, which is azure with long feathers intermingled of a roseate hue. The throat is adorned with a crest and the head with a tuft of feathers. The first Roman who described this bird and who has done so with the greatest exactness was the senator Menelius, so famous for his learning, which he owed, too, to the instructions of no teacher. He tells us that no person has ever seen this bird eat, that in Arabia it is looked upon as sacred to the sun, that it lives five hundred and forty years, that when it becomes old it builds a nest of cassia and sprigs of incense, which it fills with perfumes, and then lays its body down upon them to die, that from its bones and marrow there springs at first a sort of small worm, which in time changes into a little bird that the first thing that it does is to perform the obsequies of its predecessor and to carry the nest entire to the city of the sun near Panchaya, and there deposit it upon the altar of that divinity. The same Menelius states also that the revolution of the great year is completed with the life of this bird, and that then a new cycle comes round again with the same characteristics as the former one in the seasons and the appearance of the stars. And he says that this begins about midday of the day on which the sun enters the sign of Aries. He also tells us that when he wrote to the above effect, 
in the consulship of P. Licinius and Cineus Cornelius, it was the two hundred and fifteenth year of the said revolution. Cornelius Valerianus says that the phoenix took its flight from Arabia into Egypt in the consulship of Q. Plotius and Sextus Papinius. This bird was brought to Rome in the censorship of the Emperor Claudius, being the year from the building of the city, 800, and it was exposed to the public view in the commission. This fact is attested by the public annals, but there is no one that doubts that it was a fictitious phoenix only. Chapter 3 3. The Different Kinds of Eagles Of all the birds with which we are acquainted, the eagle is looked upon as the most noble and the most remarkable for its strength. There are six different kinds. The one called Melanados by the Greeks and Valeria in our language, the least in size of them all, but the most remarkable for its strength, is of a blackish color. It is the only one among all the eagles that feeds its young, for the others, as we shall mention just now, drive them away. It is the only one, too, that has neither cry nor murmur. It is an inhabitant of the mountains. The second kind is the Pygargus, an inhabitant of the cities and plains, and distinguished by the whiteness of its tail. The third is the Morphnos, which Homer also called the Persnos, while others again call it the Plangus and the Anataria. It is the second in size and strength, and dwells in the vicinity of lakes. Feminoe, who was styled the daughter of Apollo, has stated that this eagle has teeth, but that it has neither voice nor tongue. She says also that it is the blackest of all the eagles, and has a longer tail than the rest. Boeus is of the same opinion. This eagle has the instinct to break the shell of the tortoise by letting it fall from aloft, a circumstance which caused the death of the poet Aeschylus. An oracle, it is said, had predicted his death on that day by the fall of a house, upon which he took the precaution of trusting himself only under the canopy of the heavens. The fourth kind of eagle is the Percnopterus, also called the Oropelargus. It has much the appearance of the vulture, with remarkably small wings, while the rest of the body is larger than the others. But it is of a timid and degenerate nature, so much so that even a raven can beat it. It is always famishing and ravenous, and has a plaintive murmuring cry. It is the only one among the eagles that will carry off the dead carcass. The others settle on the spot where they have killed their prey. The character of this species causes the fifth one to be known by the distinctive name of Nesios, as being the genuine eagle and the only one of untainted lineage. It is of moderate size, of rather reddish color, and rarely to be met with. The Haliitus is the last and is remarkable for its bright and piercing eye. It poises itself aloft, and the moment it catches sight of a fish in the sea below, pounces headlong upon it, and cleaving the water with its breast, carries off its prey. The eagle which we have mentioned as forming the third species pursues the aquatic birds in the vicinity of standing waters. In order to make their escape, they plunge into the water every now and then, until at length they are overtaken by lassitude and sleep, upon which the eagle immediately seizes them. The contest that takes place is really a sight worthy to be seen. 
the bird makes for the shore to seek a refuge and especially if there should happen to be a bed of reeds there while in the meantime the eagle endeavors to drive it away with repeated blows of its wings and tumbles into the water in its attempts to seize it while it is standing on the shore its shadow is seen by the bird which immediately dives beneath and then making its way in an opposite direction emerges at some point at which it thinks it is the least likely to be looked for this is the reason why these birds swim in flocks for when in large numbers there are no danger from the enemy as by dashing up the spray with their wings they blind him again it often happens that the eagle is not able to carry the bird aloft on account of its weight and in consequence they both of them sink together the heliatus and this one only beats its young ones while in an unfledged state with its wings and forces them from time to time to look steadily upon the rays of the sun and if it sees either of them wink or even its eye water it throws it headlong out of the nest as being spurious and degenerate while on the other hand it rears the one whose gaze remains fixed and steady the haliatus is not a species of itself but is an eagle of mixed breed hence their produce are of the species known as the ossifrage from which again is produced the smaller vulture while this in its turn produces the large vulture which however is quite barren some writers add to the above a seventh kind which they call the bearded eagle the tuscans however call it the ossifrage chapter four the natural characteristics of the eagle the first three and the fifth class of eagles employ in the construction of their airy the stone aetites by some known as gangetis which is employed also for many remedial purposes and is proof against the action of fire this stone has the quality also in a matter of being pregnant for when shaken another stone is heard to rattle within just as though it were enclosed in its womb it has no medical properties however except immediately after it has been taken from the nest eagles build among rocks and trees they lay three eggs and generally hatch but two young ones though occasionally as many as three have been seen being wary of the trouble of rearing both they drive one of them from the nest for just at this time the providential foresight of nature has denied them a sufficiency of food thereby using due precaution that the young of all the other animals should not become their prey during this period also their talons become reversed and their feathers grow white from continued hunger so that it is not to be wondered at that they take a dislike to their young the ossifrage however a kindred species takes charge of the young ones thus rejected and rears them with its own but the parent bird still pursues them with hostility even when grown up and drives them away as being its rivals in rapine and indeed under any circumstances one pair of eagles requires a very considerable space of ground to forage over in order to find sufficient sustenance for which reason it is that they mark out by boundaries their respective allotments and seek their prey in succession to one another they do not immediately carry off their prey but first deposit it on the ground and it is only after they have tested its weight that they fly away with it they die but not of old age nor yet of sickness or of hunger 
but the upper part of the beak grows to such an extent and becomes so curved that they are unable to open it. They take the wing and begin upon the labors of the chase at midday. Sitting in idleness during the hours of the morning until such time as the places of public resort are filled with people. The feathers of the eagle, if mixed with those of other birds, will consume them. It is said that this is the only bird that has never been killed by lightning. Hence it is that usage has pronounced it to be the armor-bearer of Jove. Chapter 5. 4. When the eagle was first used as the standard of the Roman legions. Caius Marius, in his second consulship, assigned the eagle exclusively to the Roman legions. Before that period it had only held the first rank, there being four others as well, the wolf, the minotaur, the horse, and the wild boar, each of which preceded a single division. Some few years before his time it had begun to be the custom to carry the eagle only into battle, the other standards being left behind in camp. Marius, however, abolished the rest of them entirely. Since then, it has been remarked that hardly ever has a Roman legion encamped for the winter without a pair of eagles making their appearance at the spot. The first and second species of eagle not only prey upon the whole of the smaller quadrupeds, but will attack deer even. Rolling in the dust, the eagle covers its body all over with it, and then perching on the antlers of the animal, shakes the dust into its eyes, while at the same time it beats it on the head with its wings until the creature at last precipitates itself down on the rocks. Nor, indeed, is this one enemy sufficient for it. It has still more terrible combats with the dragon, and the issue is much more doubtful, although the battle is fought in the air. The dragon seeks the eggs of the eagle with a mischievous avidity, while the eagle in return carries it off whenever it happens to see it. Upon these occasions the dragon coils itself about the wings of the bird in multiplied folds, until at last they fall to the earth together. Chapter 6. 5. An eagle which precipitated itself on the funeral pile of a girl. There is a very famous story about an eagle at the city of Cestus. Having been reared by a little girl, it used to testify its gratitude for her kindness first by bringing her birds and in due time various kinds of prey. At last she died, upon which the bird threw itself on the lighted pile and was consumed with her body. In memory of this event, the inhabitants raised upon the spot what they called a heroic monument in honor of Jupiter and the damsel, the eagle being a bird consecrated to that divinity. Chapter 7. 6. The Vulture. Of the vultures, the black ones are the strongest. No person has yet found a vulture's nest, hence it is that there are some who have thought, though erroneously, that these birds come from the opposite hemisphere. The fact is that they build their nest upon the very highest rocks. Their young ones, indeed, are often to be seen, being generally two in number. Umbricius, the most skillful among the orispuses of our time, says that the vulture lays thirteen eggs and that with one of these eggs it purifies the others and its nest, and then throws it away. He states also that they hover about for three days over the spot where carcasses are about to be found. Chapter 8. 7. The birds called Sangualis and Immusulus. There has been considerable argument among the Roman augurs about the birds known as the Sangualis and the Immusulus. 
some persons are of opinion that the immusculus is the young of the vulture and the sanguilis that of the ossifrage Masurius says that the sanguilis is the same as the ossifrage and that the immusculus is the young of the eagle before the tail begins to turn white some persons have asserted that these birds have not been seen at rome since the time of the augur musius for my part i think it much more likely that amid that general heedlessness as to all knowledge which has of late prevailed no notice has been taken of them chapter nine eight hawks the buteo we find no less than sixteen kinds of hawks mentioned among these are the agathus which is lame of one leg and is looked upon as the most favorable omen for the augurs on the occasion of a marriage or in matters connected with property in the shape of cattle. The triochus, also so called from the number of its testicles, and to which Femenoi has assigned the first rank in augury. This last is by the Romans known as the buteo. Indeed, there is a family that has taken its surname from it, from the circumstances of this bird having given a favorable omen by settling upon the ship of one of them when he held a command. The Greeks call one Epileus, the only one, indeed, that is seen at all seasons of the year, the others taking their departure in the winter. The various kinds are distinguished by the avidity with which they seize their prey, for while some will only pounce on a bird while on the ground, others will only seize it while hovering round the trees, others again while it is perched aloft, and others while it is flying in mid-air. Hence it is that pigeons, on seeing them, are aware of the nature of the danger to which they are exposed, and either settle on the ground or else fly upwards, instinctively protecting themselves by taking due precautions against their natural propensities. The hawks of the whole of Masaicilia breed in Cern, an island of Africa lying in the ocean, and none of the kinds that are accustomed to those parts will breed anywhere else. Chapter 10 in what places hawks and men pursue the chase in company with each other in the part of thrace which lies above amphipolis men and hawks go in pursuit of prey in a sort of partnership as it were for while the men drive the birds from out of the woods and the reed beds the hawks bring them down as they fly and after they have taken the game the fowlers share it with them it has been said that when sent aloft they will pick out the birds that are wanted and what when the opportune moment for taking them has come they invite the fowler to seize the opportunity by their cries and their peculiar mode of flying the sea wolves too in the palace meotis do something of a very similar nature but if they do not receive their fair share from the fishermen they will tear their nets as they lie extended hawks will not eat the heart of a bird the night-hawk is called Sibindus. It is rarely found even in the woods, and in the daytime its sight is not good. It wages war to the death with the eagle, and they are often to be found clasped in each other's talons. Chapter 11. 9. The only bird that is killed by those of its own kind, a bird that lays only one egg. The cuckoo seems to be but another form of the hawk, which at a certain season of the year changes its shape it being the fact that during this period no other hawks are to be seen except perhaps for a few days only. The cuckoo, too, 
itself is only seen for a short period in the summer and does not make its appearance after it is the only one among the hawks that has not hooked talons neither is it like the rest of them in the head or indeed in any other respect except the color only while in the beak it bears a stronger resemblance to the pigeon in addition to this it is devoured by the hawk if they chance at any time to meet this being the only one among the whole race of birds that is preyed upon by those of its own kind it changes its voice also with its appearance comes out in the spring and goes into retirement at the rising of the dog star it always lays its eggs in the nest of another bird and that of the ring dove more especially mostly a single egg a thing that is the case with no other bird sometimes however but very rarely it is known to lay two it is supposed that the reason for its thus substituting its young ones is the fact that it is aware how greatly it is hated by the other birds for even the smallest of them will attack it hence it is that it thinks its own race will stand no chance of being perpetuated unless it contrives to deceive them and for this reason builds no nest of its own and besides this it is a very timid animal in the meantime the female bird sitting on her nest is rearing a superstitious and spurious progeny while the young cuckoo which is naturally craving and greedy snatches away all the food from the other young ones and by doing so grows plump and sleek and quite gains the affections of his foster mother who takes a great pleasure in his fine appearance and is quite surprised that she has become the mother of so handsome an offspring in comparison with him she discards her own young as so many strangers until at last when the young cuckoo is now able to take the wing he finishes by devouring her for sweetness of the flesh there is not a bird in existence to be compared to the cuckoo at this season chapter twelve ten the kite the kite which belongs to the same genus is distinguished from the rest of the hawks by its larger size it has been remarked of this bird extremely ravenous as it is and always craving that it has never been known to seize any food either from among funeral oblations or from the altar of jupiter at olympia nor yet in fact does it ever seize any of the consecrated viands from the hands of those who are carrying them except where some misfortune is presaged for the town that is offering the sacrifice these birds seem to have taught man the art of steering from the motion of the tail nature pointing out by their movements in the air the method required for navigating the deep kites also disappear during the winter months but do not take their departure before the swallow it is said also that after the summer solstice they are troubled with the gout end of section thirty seven